Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. We are in two areas of Scripture. We're going to start out again in Romans chapter 15, and then we're going to find our way, of course, to Philippians chapter 1. So Romans chapter 15, Philippians chapter 1, today is the National Day of Prayer. I want to thank all of you that joined us at 6 a.m. God bless you. We even had volunteers here at 5.30. Um, so I just want to say God bless you guys, and for those of you that joined us at noon, and maybe you joined us online or you jo- at 6 or at noon, um, but you missed Chick-fil-A and breakfast burritos. And I might add, someone brought me fresh chicharrones. Like they, were, like, they were like hot off the, I don't know if they're on the griddle or what they do with them, but it was great. So thank you, everyone. It was such a great time for us to pray for our nation. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. And that's what we chose to do as a nation today. Thankfully, at Calvary Chapel South Bay, um, we do it every day of the year, dependent on the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Romans chapter 15, Philippians chapter 1, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, thank you for your word and for those that gathered on a Thursday night, the Double Dippers. Hungering and thirsting for your word. And I pray as we go through this series, The Gospel Life, that our lives would be about the gospel. Thank you, Jesus, for the multiple testimonies that I've been hearing of the boldness that you're giving people to share the gospel. Thank you for the multiple lives that are being changed because our people are being faithful with the responsibility that you've given us to preach the gospel. And now I ask in Jesus' name that as we've gathered as a church to study, it would not be to gain knowledge, though that I pray it happens. But it would be a call to action for each and every person listening here or online. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to thank God for Pastor Dennis last week, who had the opportunity to teach us on the ministry of the gospel. And in Luke chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, Luke chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, then he called his 12 disciples together, let's say, then he called Calvary Chapel South Bay, and he gave them power, he gave us the Holy Spirit, and he also gave us authority over all demons. And to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. There are two vital components in the ministry of the gospel. Preaching and gifting. Preaching is telling people the good news. But gifting is utilizing the gift that God has given you in supernatural ways. 
and our gifts. Our gifts open the door for people to listen to us tell them the good news. There's a woman in our church. Her name is Jennifer. She feeds me all the time. Let me tell you something. She has my ear. And whenever I see her, she can ask me any question. She can stop me in the hallway anytime. Let me tell you why. She is using her gifting to open the door to my heart. (laughs) Food. Now, thankfully, she never takes advantage of it. But do you know what it is to bring some chicken noodle soup to your sick neighbor? Do you know what it is to bless the person that you don't even know in a drive-thru line and say, I'm paying for the person behind me, here's $30, tell them Jesus loves them? Do you know what that is to hear from a McDonald's attendant who has no idea about Jesus, who looks at the person and says, listen, that car in front of you said Jesus loves you. I don't know who he is, but he said check him out at Calvary Chapel South Bay. Do you realize... What happens when you utilize your gifting, it opens the door for the preaching. Yet behind the ministry, behind the ministry is the minister. In Romans chapter 15, Romans chapter 15, we will pick it up in verse 15. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus and the things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me, in word and deed, to make the Gentiles obedient." in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem round about to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel. We are talking about the gospel life, and there in Romans chapter 15, verse 16, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. Paul called himself a minister. He called himself a minister. Now, I need to let you know something about this word. It's not the word diakonos, even though that is a synonym that could be used for minister. Diakonos is where we get our word deacon, found in Acts chapter 16. No, no, no. This is a completely different word. This is a compound word composed of two Greek words like grasshopper, okay? The first word is of the people. The second word is work. It means I work for the people. This word was used in Rome and in Athens to describe a public servant, like a mayor or a governor, someone that is supposed to work for the people, not rule the people. Paul considered himself as a leader in the church, and as a leader, he was a servant of the people. So what we want to do is explore the Apostle Paul's life as a minister of the gospel, and we want to follow the Apostle Paul's life as he chose to follow Christ. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to dig in a little bit more as to what does it mean to be a minister of the gospel. And I'm going to give us seven things, believe it or not, in the next 45 
45, 50 to 60, 80 minutes. You Thursday night crew know I always go over. That's why you come. They always say you went over. And I said, well, they came back. God bless you. You're the hunger people. I love it. Not hunger games. You're the hunger people. Okay? Philippians chapter 1. Take a look at verse 1. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and the deacons. Paul's going to write this letter about 10 years after his first visit. And God has given Paul some time. It's not a vacation. It's a prison sentence. He's in a Roman jail. And instead of pouting, I can't believe I got put in jail. Not the Apostle Paul. He's using his time to write love letters, encouraging letters to the church. And the book of Philippians is one of those letters. Paul gave him time to write letters now that we can read over 2,000 years later. But before I go any further, I need to be, remind you of the great Apostle Paul. He was on his way to Damascus. And while he was there to go persecute Christians, Jesus shows up. Hello, Paul. <laughs> Why are you persecuting me? Why are you kicking against the goads? And what Jesus was saying to him in that first century world was this. I've been trying to get your attention for a long time. Because you know why? As Paul was stoning and beating and throwing Christians into gladiators arena, they were trying to minister to the Apostle Paul. They had the gospel life. And Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? I've been using my people to try to get your attention for the longest time. And you're not getting it, Paul. So I showed up. Paul, the persecutor, he received the gospel and the gospel radically changed his life. This man that was once adamantly against the church is now writing a thank you letter for a gift they sent them. He's like, think of this. This guy was the meanest guy. Now he's writing, Dear Church of Philippi, I just want to thank you so much for all the great things that you've done for me. How does that happen but the gospel? This is the man who believed a lie. He believed the lie, and he would become the man that would refute false doctrine in the church, only the gospel. This is a man who caused turmoil and strife. And now he's settling an argument in the book of Philippians between two women. This is a man who was an agent of destruction. And now he's a minister to people. That is a result of the power of the gospel. So who have you lost hope on? Is it your prodigal? Who have you lost hope on? Is it your aunt so-and-so? Is it your uncle this? Is it the person that works next to you? Who have you lost hope on? Because the gospel's not lost hope on anyone. In fact, the good news is the gospel is that anyone can get saved. It's why Paul wrote, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. Let me tell you what the gospel does. It creates a new reality that deepens our understanding of our world and our place in it. When we get the good news of the gospel, 
we begin to understand why we're here, where we're supposed to be, and what we are supposed to do. So much so that Paul knew that he was a bondservant. This guy that was the Pharisee of Pharisees, the Hebrew of Hebrews, working himself up the Sanhedrin letter, now he says, I'm a slave. Now, the amazing thing about this letter is the way that he greets the church in this letter is very different than the way that he greeted in his other letters. You see, in his other letters, he had to introduce or establish himself as an authority. So Paul the Apostle. Let me tell you who I am. you got to know this because I'm about to speak some words to, into your life and your heart. But to this church, no, that's not what he does. He's in relationship with them. This is a, a, a thank you letter. So he doesn't need to establish his authority because he's in relationship. He established himself as a bondservant, and his authority is reflected because he's a minister, a servant to the people. You see, Paul had made a decision. Do you remember when Ananias showed up? Remember Ananias who didn't want to go? And God said to Ananias, hey, I want you to go to the street called Straight. The Bible is so specific, we can prove it wrong in any. I want you to go to 9th Street in San Pedro. That's basically what he said to Ananias. The Bible is so specific that we can, we can prove God wrong at any time. And God says, go ahead, give it a shot, prove me wrong. He says, I want you to go to Straight Street, and you're going to see Saul there, and I want you to lay hands on him, and I want you to give him this message. I'm not going, and Ananias said, I'm too afraid. I don't want to give the good news to that guy. And you know what God said? Go. Okay. And you know what Ananias told Paul? Hey, Paul, the God of our fathers, he's delivered you. And he's going to show you how many things you will suffer for my name's sake. Now, you're newly saved, okay? No happy feelings here. You're blind for three days. Some guy that you don't know shows up that you were on your way to persecute. And he shows up while you're blind. You hear it's Ananias who you, <gasps> he's going to hurt me. I know he's going to hurt me. He knows what I came here for. Hey, Paul, God's going to show. And I wonder how Ananias said it. God's going to show you how much you're going to suffer for his name's sake. I mean, I don't know what was going on in Ananias' mind. But imagine you're newly saved and you hear you're going to suffer for the gospel. And Paul willingly submitted to the authority of God, the authority of God's word in his life. Paul made a decision. The gospel is not an addition to my schedule if I can do it in a matter of convenience. The gospel is my life. It's the gospel life. So he writes, and look who he writes too, to all the saints. Now, the Roman Catholic Church has, sorry if you're from that background, the Roman Catholic Church has messed up that word for us. Because <clears throat> you got St. Joseph, if you lose something, you just call on him and he helps you out, and you got... Saint someone who's in your car just in case you don't get an accident. You got saint this and saint that and saint this. And in order to be a saint, you got to do a miracle when you're dead. So I, what I, I'm sorry if you come from that background, but that's not what Paul is referring to when he says saint. He's speaking to the entire church. Saint Chet. Put it in your car. 
Go ahead. Wear, wear it around your neck. St. Chet. Let me tell you something. That and about five bucks will get you coffee at Starbucks. He's saying St. John, St. Peter, St. Sally, St. Jennifer. Just put your own name there. You're a saint. Now, let me tell you who he's writing to, these saints. We don't know who was all in the Philippi church, but we do know three of them. Lydia. She was a fashionista. Fashion queen, wealthy, socialite. She was like the it. She was a dealer of purple, okay? And she wore that purple flowing in Philippi. And she just happened to be down there at the water. And Paul shows up. And she, he leads her to Christ. And her whole family comes to Christ. Somebody came to me on Sunday. You know what they said to me? Chet, I used to be afraid to tell people the gospel. I went home, I told my whole family, all six of them, you need to get saved. They did. I didn't realize it was so easy. Now we're all coming to church. And I said, you're, I said to him, you're like Lydia. You're like Lydia. He goes, why are you calling me a woman? No, no, no. Lydia led her whole family to the Lord. Lydia was in that church. You know who else was in that church? A demonic slave girl who Paul set free. That's who was in that church. You know who else was in this church? A Philippian jailer that beat Paul, put him in jail. He was Paul's enemy, and now he's writing him, Dear saints, let me tell you something about the gospel. The gospel penetrates all social, racial, religious backgrounds. I don't care if you're a Muslim. You can come to Christ. And builds a new kingdom of people which are family. Look at us. We are a potpourri. A motley, because I wanted to say motley crew, but potpourri came out. We're a motley, what is potpourri anyway? It's that little bag that's, never mind. We're a motley crew. Look at the people sitting next to you. Look at them. No, go ahead. I want you to look. Look at us. We're a motley crew of every tribe, tongue, and nation. And just go ahead and ask the background of the person sitting next to you. You'll be afraid. You won't sit there next week. You know why? The gospel has changed their life. And you know what happens when the gospel changes our life? You see, before the gospel, we tended to hang out with people that are like us. But then when we get saved, supernaturally, with the power of the gospel, we tend to hang out with the people that used to irritate us. They now intrigue us. The people that are different than us, we, with the gospel, go, we're family. What does a fashionista diva have in common with a demoniac girl? Jesus, the common denominator. And we all get to hang out together. And what happens is that Jesus gives us a love, not just for someone we're used to, but he gives us a love for everyone. And that's my first point about the minister of the gospel Would you take a look now in verse 2? Grace to you and peace from our God and Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy for your, and maybe you'll underline this, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Point number one, maybe you'll write it down. The minister of the gospel loves God. People. The minister of the gospel loves people. You can't say you love God and you don't love people. If people irritate you, that's a gospel problem. 
Do you know that? If people irritate you, that's a gospel problem. You see, we got to remember, Paul's in jail. And the thing that's making him happy is thinking of the many memories they had together in the gospel. Every time I think of you, I've got a great, I got a bunch of joy in me. Paul was beaten in Philippi, thrown in jail in Philippi, and he says, every time I think of you, I've got a lot of joy. The memories of the gospel, how God changed people's life in Philippi, gave Paul a lot of joy when he was in jail. Now, we got to be careful with the word happy because the word happy is different than the word joy. Happiness changes based on our circumstance, but joy is founded in the fact that we're saved and that fact can never change. So whatever happens in my life, I get heaven. When Peter was saying, listen, we're going to have a lot of trials, he says, in this you greatly rejoice. He's not saying that we rejoice in the trials. We rejoice in the incorruptible inheritance that's been given to us. We've been saved. Someone say, hallelujah. This word joy, Paul is so excited about salvation. This word joy is found 19 times in this book. In fact, it's the theme of the book. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I say rejoice. Listen to how the New Living Bible puts it. Listen to this. Always, always, always be full of joy in the Lord. I'll say it again. Rejoice. That's the New Living Translation. Because the Lord is the center of our joy, not our circumstance. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His promises will always be yes and amen. His word will never fail because he's a God of love and love never fails. So our joy is founded in God. Now, the question is, do you have that kind of joy when you're around God's people? Do you have that kind of joy when you're around people? Because there's nothing better than hanging out with good friends and family. And we're a family. And we are a family. And in this season, in this new season at Calvary Chapel South Bay, we've got memories to make. Let's take a look what he says in verse 3. Look at his memories. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. He has memories and he gives God glory for those memories. So take a look at this. little family photo. Okay, take a look. Oh, there's the choir. What a great family shot. Do you remember when Andre was jumped off the stage last Easter? Oh, it was wonderful. I thought she was just going to, oh, look at Moses up there raising his hand and giving glory to God. There's Ben and there's Gannon. My goodness. Oh, who is that over there? Wow, that's someone in the family. Take a look at this next shot. Oh, my goodness. Oh. What's happening here? Are they drinking wine? Are we telling on people here at our church? No, it's grape juice. Get over it. (laughs) This is the Seder meal. And we as a family, 60 of us, we got together. We made a memory, giving God the glory for the Seder meal, the Passover meal, the communion cup. Take a look at this family shot. Oh, the memory that we had. We want to give God glory for Easter, sunrise, service. People were running from across the street to get saved. People are peeling names off of the We Are Praying For You banner because people are getting saved. What a great memory. What a great way to give glory to God. Take a look at this shot. 
What another great memory. <gasps> the baptism. Oh my goodness. Look at the amount of people. 87 people. What a great memory to give glory to God. Look at Pastor Zach's face. I didn't see this photo. I think, and he's looking at me shocked, like, oh, wow, I can't believe he's in the water. I don't know what that is. Take a look at this next shot. Oh, what a great family. Fo- is this vacation Bible school? Yes, it is. Look at those kids. They actually look happy in church. What a great memory. What a great way to give glory to God. Take a look at this next shot. Oh my goodness, Where this is the picnic. Let me tell you something about Calvary Chapel South Bay. We love to eat. We are Calvary Chapel. We are not Calvary Chapel. We love to eat. Let me tell you something. We had almost 300 men at the men's life uh, on Tuesday. You know why? Tacos. Tacos bring men, okay? Listen, this summer we're doing steak and study. Did you hear it? Steak and study. If you would consider upping your tithe over the summer, that would be great for our men's life, okay? So they can have their steak and they can bring their friends. It's all for God, I'm telling you. Take a look at this next shot. Wait a second. Is that a missionary in the Philippines giving glory to God? What a great memory. Take a look at this next shot. Is that my blonde Christian babe right there in that shot? That's my wife, by the way. This is the women's prayer. Look at, look at Pastor Dennis's wife, Sue, and Pastor Lester's wife, Cheryl. And there they are. And let me tell you what they're praying for. Dear God, help Chet. No, Lord, help Andrea with Chet. I hope that's not what they're praying. But take a look at verse 4, what Paul's praying for. Always in every prayer of mine, making request with you all with joy. You see, a memory, a memory of someone, a memory of a glorious event should cause us to remember to pray. And our prayer, <coughs> take a look at verse 6, being confident of this, that he will be... Th- being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Our prayer should be that we become more like Christ each and every day. Now, I want to give you a photo shot of Jesus. I want to give you a, a, a spiritual picture of Jesus. Would you go down to verse 9 as we're just rejoicing in the fellowship that we have together? Take a look at verse 9. Here's his prayer. And this I pray. Here's the memory that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let me tell you what he's praying for them. I pray that you look as loving, as righteous, and as authentic as Jesus. That's my prayer for you. And because I know you, and we've made a lot of memories together, I know what to pray for you for. The fellowship of the gospel. Take a look, if you would. We're going to pick it up there in verse 7. Philippians chapter 1, verse 7. Once again, Philippians 1, 7. 
Just it is right for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart. Inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense, maybe you'll underline this, and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. I ask you to consider underlining defense and confirmation of the gospel because number two, the minister of the gospel has the answer. Did you hear that? The minister of the gospel has been equipped with the answer. Let me explain. The word defense means to be able to give an answer to defend oneself. That's what the word defense is. You are able to give an answer. You have the knowledge and the capacity to actually give an answer. Two plus two is You know that because you learned it. You took time to learn it. Here's something a little bit more challenging. Two times two is? Okay, the fact that someone went four? It sounds like when I play golf. Four? Confirmation. The word confirmation means to prove something to, is true. In other words, I'm going to confirm it with evidence. I'm going to be a lawyer in a, in a court of law, and I'm going to show you that this is true. And here's what Paul's saying as a minister of the gospel. We need to be able to provide spiritual answers for all of life's concerns. We need to be able to provide spiritual answers. You know what the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3? Uh, let me explain this. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Not some things. He's given us all things that pertain to life and how to be godly. Through the knowledge of Him who called us by the glory and vir- virtue. In other words, the Word of God... That's Jesus, the knowledge of him, has everything in it we need for life and godliness. This makes sense to me. If he created us, then he wrote the operator's manual. If there's anyone that would be able to tell us how to operate best, it's God. So we need to study to show ourselves approved to be able to answer life's questions. Just because you don't know it's in the Bible doesn't mean it's not there. Just because you may not know it's in the Bible doesn't mean it's not there. And in our world today, we need to be able to answer the question, well, where do I come from? Here's the answer. In the beginning... God made the heavens and the earth. The next question. Well, I mean, who am I? He made them male and female. God has the answer. Well, why am I here? Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. The Bible has an answer just because the world rejects it doesn't mean it's not the answer. Did you hear that? Our job is to know the word and to speak it into people's lives. The word has an answer for anxiety. It says we should pray. 
The word has an answer for depression. The word has an answer for marriage. The word has an answer for every life circumstance. As I said, if he created us, he knows how we operate best. In Jude 3, in Jude 3, the Bible, because of this, exhorts us. Take a look at the screen. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, in other words, what Jude says, I was going to write you a letter about how to be saved. But he switches by the Spirit and he says, I found it necessary, Calvary South Bay, to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Defense and confirmation of the gospel? The minister of the gospel has the answer? You see, this word, contend earnestly, to contend earnestly for the faith, it means fight for it. Fight for it. That's why Paul would say, fight the good fight of faith. And let me tell you about something. If you haven't trained, if you haven't dug deep into the Word of God, don't go into the world's ring. You're going to get knocked out. You've got to be someone of the Word to be able to defend it. You can't go into the world's ring and not have a knowledge of the Word. Number three. Let's pick it up there, if you would, in verse 12. But I want you to know, brethren, Philippians chapter 1, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance, I might underline that, of the gospel. So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to the rest that my chains are in Christ. Stop there, if you would, for just a moment. The furtherance of the gospel? Let me tell you something about the apostle Paul. The minister of the gospel advances the kingdom. No matter what, no matter where, no matter who, no matter how. This was Paul's perspective. I'm chained to a Roman soldier. Ah, wonderful. He's not going anywhere. I'll give him the gospel. There's a great book written by Richard Vermbrandt. He was the one who started the uh, Voice of Martyrs, the, the, the ministry that ministers to the persecuted church. He got arrested in his country because he was a preacher in a communist country. He's a preacher of the gospel. He was beaten up, and one day he looked at his face. They had knocked out all of his teeth. And he looked in the mirror, and he goes, what am I doing here? I'm ugly. And God spoke to him. The prison... The prison guards would not come to church, so I sent you to prison. And all of a sudden, his 12 years in jail became a mission field. Wow. Today, we were listening to Ferry Dune speak, and he was speaking to the pastors. And he said something so nonchalantly. And he just kept going. It wasn't like he stopped for dramatic effect. It wasn't like it was just a matter of fact. He said this. And one of our translators who got killed by the uh, Iranian guards, and they just kept going. And I was, wait, 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 stop for a second. And one of the Iranian translators of the Bible, he got killed by the, uh, uh, by the guards. And I don't know if any other pastor caught what he was saying, but I sat there and I listened and go, wait a second. Did you just say that someone got martyred? And did you say it like it's just a matter of fact? 
Someone is living for the gospel and they got martyred? You see, when you have the gospel life, it don't matter where you are, who you are, what you are, or who you're with, you preach the gospel. And the amazing thing about it, they were getting saved. The Roman guards were getting saved. And the Bible says, in, uh, uh, just later in chapter 4, verse 22, these were of Caesar's household. Paul was ministering to guards who would then minister to Caesar. Wow! Paul found any avenue to get the gospel to anyone, no matter where he was. I was driving home the other day, and um, there was a squirrel in the street that had just gotten hit. And I drove past it, and then I couldn't go any further. I turned around, I went back, and I had a shirt, so I picked up the little guy, and he started went, and I didn't even know that squirrels can scream. And then I started to cry. I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't mean to hurt you, but I don't want you to get run over. And so I put the little guy over to uh, the corner, and I laid him down. There was a guy watching me do it. I had no idea. And now on my dog walk, the guy wants to speak to me because he watched me do a squirrel. <laughs> I didn't know that God could use squirrels for the gospel. You guys, the world is watching us. Now, I'm not telling you to rescue squirrels. Now, I would love to say, um, when I went back the next day, the little guy was gone. So I don't think he was, I think he just got stunned a little bit, and that's why he screamed, like, don't touch me. Um, Anyway, praise the Lord, I think he's okay. And you can praise the Lord for squirrels, okay? So here's my question. The Bible says, He says, this is turned out for the furtherance of the gospel so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to the rest that my chains are in Christ. Not only was Paul preaching Christ, he was living it. When they came in to switch switch guards, Paul wasn't going, oh, great, this hurts. I can't believe we've got to go shackle, shackle, shackle again. He was going, oh, the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Okay, you don't know the song. (laughs) My question is this. Who are you chained to? In your world, who are you chained to? Is it the person in the cubicle next to you? Is it the person that you drive with? Is it the person that you carpool with? Who are you chained to? Are you an Uber driver? They're trapped in your car for at least an hour in California. Are you Uber Eats? God bless you. Understand, if God can use squirrels for the gospel, the question is, who are you chained to? Because Paul used his chains for the sake of the gospel. Now take a look, if you would, again at verse 14. The Bible says, And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Let me tell you something about the gospel. There's a story of William Wallace. And when William Wallace the Scot was going against the English uh, 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 army, there was a moment when the Scots got scared. And they saw the English army in their horses and all that. And here's a bunch of farmers with pitchforks. And Wallace could feel it. 
So Wallace raised up his dagger and he yelled with everything he had within him, For Scotland! Because fear is contagious, but so is faith. Faith is also contagious. That's why when we come to church, we're to spur each other on with love and good works. So when you come into church, you say, oh, I saved one today. How many did you save? Oh, I saved two this week. Oh, I got three. Oh, I got four. No, it's not a competition. But what happens when you hear the story that a guy went home and gave his go- the gospel to his whole family and they got saved, you say, well, I'm going to go home and give the gospel to my family. Now, listen, they may laugh at you. You've been faithful to plant the seed to who you're chained to. Now, take a, let's keep going if we would. Would you go with me to Philippians chapter 1, verse 27? Let's understand another point in regards to the gospel. He says, chapter 1, verse 27, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and, come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind in striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God. For to you it's been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer. Someone say Amen but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. A conduct worthy of the gospel. Let me tell you why. Number four, the minister of the gospel is concerned about their conduct. The minister of the gospel is concerned about their conduct. Frequently in Paul's epistles, he speaks about a conduct worthy of the gospel. Because it should be the goal of every believer to be conformed into the image of Jesus by being transformed by the word of God. And if we're being conformed by being transformed then what Paul is saying here, it produces a unity of mind. It produces a unity of spirit. And Paul says you can then contend for the faith. Now that word contend is an interesting word. That word contend means you're on a team and you're fighting together. You're fighting together. I, I have the opportunity to go watch Pastor Zach's kids play soccer on Saturdays. And his son Graham is a, just a, a gifted soccer player and when he's out on that field, I mean, his, his mind is just, <laughs> I'm going to score, right? I am going to score that goal. Now, can you imagine if he was out on that field and every player was in it for themselves? They weren't in it to win. They were just in it for themselves. When I get the ball, I'm just going to drive it myself. They weren't learning any plays. There was like, and they would never win. But they have come together as a team, and they are contending against the other players. Because every team has an opponent. Every team has an opponent. And what Paul is saying is, you usually know the opponent 
by the different uniform that they wear. When Graham goes out on the field, he's in blue and the other team's in red. Understand, I know who the enemy is by what they look like. Here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying we've got an enemy. And when the opponent comes out, take a look what he says there, if you would. We'll pick it up there um, in verse 28. And not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. See, the opponent, the enemy, when he comes out to get on that field, we can't get afraid. And he'll come out like a roaring lion. Right? But I love the way Peter puts it. He's like a roaring lion. He's really not a roaring lion. He's a little kitty. You might hear roar, but God hears mew. Because the cross made a laughing stock of the enemy. So he says, listen, when you get out there and you're living the gospel life and you're ministering the gospel, be concerned about your conduct on the field because the enemy's going to come out with, I'm going to win. I'll never forget when I was swimming. I used to get behind the block and do this. That's what I did. And people would look at me like I'm nuts. But what was I doing? Throwing off their game. It was not cheating. It was strategic. (laughs) Listen, guys. When our enemy comes out on the field, he wants us to be terrified. It's his strategy. But when we get out on the team, we can't go out like this. Oh, they're big. There's giants. They're going to squash us and our children. That's what the children of Israel did when God said, go score a goal. Walk into the promised land. We're a team. We're called the church. We're contending together against the enemy. We can't walk on the field like this. Okay, here we go. (laughs) I got to give the gospel. I knew I couldn't have done it. (laughs) None of that's in my notes, and I don't know why I'm continuing with it. And what Paul's letting us know, we'll know those who are on the team because they're going to try and scare us. We'll know, excuse me, we'll know those who are against us because they're going to try to scare us. But he's also revealing that they're not on the team. Now, the problem is too many Christians get stuck there. Too many get, Christians get stuck with, well, they're on their way to perdition. It's us and them. The heaven-bound people and the hell-bound people. They're going to hell. They deserve it. So do you. Except for the great grace of God, don't get stuck with they deserve it. Don't get stuck there. Because what Paul says is when you recognize the enemy, when you recognize they're trying to make you afraid, they do it because of perdition. That's what the Bible says here. And not in any way terrified, which is to them a proof of perdition, 
But to you, you're different. For you, it's a sign they need to get saved. When they come out of the field with intimidation, it's a sign to us, okay, go into action. We got to get on the field and we got to save them. We got to go on the offensive at all costs to get them on the team. Over uh, Christmas, we played a game called Family. Don't know if you ever played it, but it's great. Every, you pick a topic. We picked famous people because we had kids. And you pick a name. So what you have to do in the game, it's a great game. You should play it. What you have to do in the game is mine was Tom Cruise. <laughs> and so they'll read Tom Cruise, and they'll go, oh, I believe that one is Dad. Oh, it is me. Now I'm on in your family. And now the two of us are trying to guess other people to bring them into our family. And we're strategizing as a team. And we're trying to figure out, oh, now remember, they said that they weren't that person, so they can't be that person. So Barney must be them. Oh, we got another one on our team. And when you win the captain of another team, their whole team comes into your family. And guess what? At Christmas time, I won. I won the game because I was giving it everything I've got to win everyone over. I'm not going in the game to beat the other team. I'm going into the game to win them onto my team. Now, this is what Paul says. Paul said, listen, you're going to do this at all costs because not only have you been called to be saved, you've been called to suffer. Put that on a Thomas Kincaid picture. <laughs> hey, guys, can I tell you that the world is going to lie, cheat, and steal? It's just what they do. It's what they know. It's their language. So when they do it, and you lie and cheat and steal back, how is that shining as a light? So we've got to ask the power of the Spirit to help us have a conduct that wins them over. Number five, go with me to Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 again. Take a look. You'll see it. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the, underline this if you would, faith of the gospel. The minister of the gospel lives in the authority of God's word for their life. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. I'm going to remind you what we talked about this past Sunday in Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Take a look at the screen. Hebrews 3, 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. God tells you to do something and you say no. Choosing to go a different direction than God's direction is not a great idea for a child of God. Ask Jonah. Hey, Jonah, go and save the people of Nineveh. Them people? Those hellbound people? Do you know what they're doing to us? Do you know how they're against us? They've carried off the whole northern kingdom. I'm not going there. They don't deserve to be saved. Let them die. Let them burn. So what does Jonah do? I'm not going to do what God has called me to do. In fact, I'm going to go the opposite direction. You ever smell the inside of a whale? 
reeks. Wasn't a great idea for Jonah. It's not a great idea for us. You see, the minister of the gospel lives in the authority of God's word, and God said, go and preach. We get to choose, are we Jonah or not? Number six, go with me to Philippians chapter 2 as we continue our little survey of the gospel. Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to pick it up in verse 19. Philippians chapter 2, take a look at verse 19. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know the proven character that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Number six, if you're taking note, the minister of the gospel has developed a character. I'm going to tell you what that character is. Timothy cared for people, and everybody knew it. He cared for people. You see, Paul has just told them in chapter 2, I want you to have the same love of comfort that Christ has. And then he gives the example of Timothy. Timothy's just like Christ. He cares for people. In fact, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, he says this, Consider others better than yourselves. Consider you're saved, so consider others better than yourselves and win people over for the gospel. You see, the essence of the gospel is God's love for people that he gave his only son. And the character of the minister, the character of the minister is known to lay down their life for someone else to get saved. In fact, you know what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9? He said this, I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake. I don't care what I have to do, who I have to become, where I have to go. I'll do whatever it takes so that some people can get saved. Paul cared for people, and he invested that into Timothy. Care for people. But Timothy was also known as someone who served with Paul as a son to his father. You see, the character of Timothy is that he desired discipleship. He was a seeker of Christ, and he found someone to show him the way. He wanted to be like Christ. This is the way of the gospel. Priscilla and Aquila, do you remember? Priscilla and Aquila are sitting in a synagogue one day. This guy, Apollos, comes in, and he starts preaching the gospel, but he only knew John the Baptist. Repent. The kingdom of God is near. That's all he knew. So Priscilla and Aquila go, hey, Apollos, come here. We've got to talk. You're a great speaker. I love it. But Jesus has come. And the Bible says Apollos went to their house. Take a look. It's Acts chapter 18, verse 24. Acts 18. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only of the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, 
They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Though he was a big man speaker, he still had a desire to be discipled. There should never come a point in our life when we feel we cannot learn from someone something in the Word of God. For at the end of the Apostle Paul's life, he said, send me my parchments and my scrolls when you come. I still want to learn. It was the end of his life, the end of his ministry career. Finally, number seven, go with me to Philippians chapter four. Philippians chapter four, we'll pick it up there in verse, uh, verse two. I implore Yodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, Help these women who labored with me in the gospel. Labored with me with Clement and also the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Come on, guys. We're on the same team. We're contending for the gospel. Listen, number seven is they labored in the gospel. The minister of the gospel has a mind to work. Has a mind to work. It's Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6. You can write it down. You'll see it on the screen. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6. They were given the impossible task of rebuilding the wall. And the Bible says in Nehemiah 4, 6, so we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had a mind to work. We went to Israel with a mind to get the job done. Are we going into L.A. with a mind to get the job done? Now, let me tell you about this wall. The task was difficult, but they had a mind to do it. And here they are only halfway, and they keep going. They don't care how much more they've got to go. We've got a mind to work. We've got to have a mind to work in this gospel life. You see, we'll set our alarm and we'll get up and we'll get ready and we'll be at work at 9 o'clock because we want to get paid. It's a mind to work. And James said this, set your alarms. That's the chat version. He says, Christians, listen. Faith without works is dead. Now, I'm not saved by my works, but if I'm saved... I will go to work because a person saved by the gospel is a minister of the gospel and a minister of the gospel is a person that's saved by the gospel. It goes hand in hand. My son got a job. Just, he's getting ready to graduate, getting his master's degree at uh, uh, University of Colorado in Boulder. Calls me two days a day. Dad, I got a job. I finally have a purpose. He was going on and on and on and on. I was like, well, praise God, you're finally off my payroll. (laughs) I got a job, Dad. He's all excited because he's about to apply everything he's learned and he's going to get rewarded with a salary because he put so much effort into learning it. Do you realize the reward of leading someone to Christ is that you get to participate with God rejoicing in heaven. What a reward. The Bible says when they see God rejoice, the angels in the presence of God 
They watch him rejoice when one sinner gets what a reward. Gang, this is the gospel life. Paul closes this letter in Philippians 4.15, and he says this. Philippians 4.15. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving but you only. Did you catch it? The beginning of the gospel. This word, it means to rule, authority, first, priority. We see this word in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. Take a look at the screen. And he's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning. He's the rule, he's the first, he's the authority, he's the priority. The firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Let me tell you how Paul closes his letter. What Paul is saying in Philippians is exactly what he's communicating in Colossians 1. He made Christ preeminent in his life. He made him first, which made the gospel his beginning, made the gospel his priority. What he's saying is, I have just described to you the gospel life. It's our priority because Christ is preeminent. The gospel is our priority. It should rule our life. It should be the authority of our life. It should be why we exist. It defines our purpose. It communicates who we are, this gospel life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? Do you know what this does? It changes our perspective. Because now that mean old cranky neighbor that you're chained to, and you want to sell, you've wanted to sell your house for years. Now they're your mission field. And that person at work who has the mouth of a toilet. Guess what? Every time you used to cringe, oh, I hate that word. Now, every time they say that word, you get to be reminded to pray. And I'm moving from the cringe to the opportunity. Church, The gospel life is our priority. That's why we exist. God didn't have the angels give Cornelius the gospel. He sent Peter to the Gentile. Who's he sending you to? Amen? Because he's sending. Are you listening? As the Father sent me, So I 
send you. And according to one dad, it's pretty easy. You just go home, you say, listen, we're all getting saved now. Let me tell you how. We're going to pray to Jesus, and we're all going to church. Wow, my whole family's life is changing. Oh, Pastor Chet, it's not that easy. Maybe it is. You just haven't tried. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.